We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Mr. Roberts, it's message board time. Or it's message board. It's always message board time. You Sign up always at boards go to that message board. Always. But it's it's mailbag time, Brian. And so let's dive into it. So we're uh first Anthony Solomon says, glad to see you're doing better, Brian. I'm I'm getting there. I'm getting there. And I appreciate your kind words. I'm I'm getting there. Some good days and some bad days. Today's a decent day. Bob Hill with a super chat. Thank you, Bob. He says, Brian, do you predict a hurry up type of offense, i.e., no huddle? Uh, Bob, I think we'll see that at times as a wrinkle, and you should see it at times as a wrinkle. And we saw it at times last year as a wrinkle. I, I I wouldn't be shocked if we see it a little bit more this year. I'm personally not necessarily a big tempo guy, Ryan. I, I'm I'm not. I, I I'm not a. We got to go 100 miles an hour. I like quick, prompt communication, but I I like kind of being able to get my set. I like motions. I like shifts. I like doing all that kind of stuff. I think tempo is a great thing you have to have. It's a great resource to use. Sometimes you need it. Your offense just can't get into a rhythm and, and your guys are thinking too much. Hey, let's just go fast and everybody line up and just go play. I think there's a need for that at times. I'm personally just not someone who would do it all the time if it was up to me. That's just, it's just not my style. I understand the benefits of it, but it's just not for me. It's, and it's, it's a preference thing, right? There's teams that use it and it works great. There's teams that use it and they suck. It's just, you know, all the other stuff has to be good. I'm, I'm just, I like Temple as a wrinkle for me. And I think we'll see it as a, as a change of pace wrinkle for Notre Dame moving forward. So I don't expect it to be a thing we see a, a, as a main course for this offense. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors. According to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, 
So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Well, you just said a word that I think I'm more of a believer in, and that's pace, right? Like I like pacing of an offense. The pacing could be a, a different, it could be completely different thing. So, right? Like if I'm being a little bit more methodical in, in how I'm getting out into a drive, if I'm being a little bit more pressing of like, hey, let's get up to the line of scrimmage, let's get into our stuff, let's do some of that pre-snap stuff that we need to do and make sure in a crucial situation, right, at times. So I'm more of a pace guy than a tempo guy because – I mean, to your point, Brian, it's like the Wake Forest teams, you know, over the last few years are like, they're super like, let's go, let's go, let's go, let's run 100 plays, let's do that style of thing. I'm more like there's different moments in football games that deserve more of a speedier approach, deserves more of a methodical approach. And I think that that change up, especially for a defense – stinks man like that stinks like you know I, I go from a defensive perspective I can I am comfortable going against a high tempo offense if I know that it's going to be a consistently high tempo offense like I need to go I need to go I need to go the minute that you change things up on me that's where I'm like oh man now I don't know what's coming like I don't know what's coming at this point you were moving fast now you're moving slow you're making me nervous because now I'm thinking too much after just, you were just, just motion to shift 13 like, times in four plays you know yes exactly as a defensive player I want to be comfortable and that type of stuff that changing of pace motions that stuff makes people uncomfortable mm-hmm. good question Bob very good question I think we had another super super sticker down here from Driscoll's Intel poker face I dig that by the way I appreciate mm-hmm. you very much Mark one had a super chat. Thank you, Mark. What's your thoughts on when we play teams we should beat early on, then put in other players to get a good look at them during a live game? I, I'm always a fan of that. Uh, I'm almost always a fan of that. I do think there comes a time where if you have a lot of new guys on a on a team, that there may be some merit to maybe sticking them a little extra series or two longer because I just need a little more work with those guys. But with as many guys coming back as Notre Dame is going to have, even though Sam Hartman's a – you know, he's new to it, but most of the part, it's it's everybody's back. I don't need to see them for an extra couple series if you're blowing Navy out or Tennessee State or or other. I, I personally really want to see Jeremiah Love and Jadarian Price carry the football. So if I'm whooping Navy, I'm getting them in the – I'm actually going to consider getting this, one, you know, Jadarian Price in the game if if he's healthy – you know, that last series where I would normally have my starters, I'm going to take my backup quarterback out and I'm going to take my backup tailback out, maybe one starting receiver or and my number two tight end. I'm putting them on the field with my first team O-line. 
and and see how that looks for a series or two. Give those guys some looks there. I'd do that with Jadarian Price. I'd get Jer- I'd get Jeremiah Love on the field in the fourth quarter in that situation. Uh, I'd consider going 21, 20 personnel in that in the fourth quarter and saying, okay, I want to get Jeremiah and Jadarian both some snaps, and I want to get Jaden Greathouse some snaps, and I want to get. Braylon James some snaps because we're whooping Navy or whooping Tennessee State or whatever. Just see what they can do. Get them some some run. Like Notre Dame had to be so up. I I remember they were playing Duke in 2019, and I think it was like it was like 31 to three. I think Ryan and they got the ball back like five minutes in the fourth quarter, and they put the starters back in. It's like what are you doing? Like what are we doing here? Right? Like it was just it was you're missing opportunities to do that. This year they just didn't blow teams out enough. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, for me, Percy Ryan, early on, I would love to see some of those younger guys and some of those number twos in freshmen get a chance to get – like third quarter, if Josh Burnham's only played like five, seven snaps in the first half and we're up – you know, if, if I'm a coach and we're up 27 to three, I'm flat out getting Josh Burnham some extra reps. I'm flat out getting Tyson Ford some reps. I'm getting – the, you know, Devin Houston, hopefully some reps. I'm getting those guys on the field and seeing what they can do. No question about it. Thoughts on well, that, right? Well, and I, I think that for me, one of the frustrating things is that even when this is more in the end of the Brian Kelly era, but I mean, when freshmen did get an opportunity to play or some of the young guys got opportunity to play, it was just in those situations like you knew it was just going to be a run play every single play. You know, you knew that you were just going to kind of run the ball down or defensively, you know, you're not really doing anything because it's like must rush stuff. Like, I want to put players in situations where it's actually about growth, I think is my biggest thing, right? Like I want to, in spring practice, in fall practice, at times I want to throw them in there in the fire and want to see how they react in like real live bullets, not just like when the game is running down. And I think that that happens in, in actual football games at times. It's like these guys get in at the very ends and it's not very practical for growth, right? Like me putting in Jeremiah Love, in at the end of a football game when you're up a ton and me just running the football, you know, in the A gap, three straight runs just to get out of a football game when you knew the defense is ready for the run. Like, is that making Jeremiah better? Is that? I, I don't think it is because then he doesn't have to work on his vision. He doesn't have to What's work even on his worse, Ryan, is when they yeah. put receivers in there in those situations. Oh, just blocking they're getting out nothing there. out of that. <laughs> like, okay, they've been in front of a crowd, but they're not developing. To your point, I think you nailed it. There's no growth happening. I would argue a running back gets a little bit more growth out of it because he's at least got to learn to run against a loaded box and make people miss. He's at least getting the ball. But to your point, he's not really, he's not really doing things that he would necessarily do in a game or Or, he's running pass blocking and all that kind of stuff either. Or or like when you throw a quarterback in at the end, just to hand the ball off three times, it's like, you know, cool. He can take a snap under center, I guess. Like that's cool, I guess. But yeah, like there's gotta be a happy medium. Like you don't throw him in there and run like, throw a bunch of bombs right or run reverses and you know there's running up the score and then there's we're just running our offense right and like if i if i wouldn't go tempo i'm not putting steve angeli in the game in the fourth quarter say okay let's go tempo and put some points on the board no i'm but yeah your goal we got the ball your goal steve is to lead the team down there and and to score a touchdown right that that's your goal that's and that's why i like the implement implementation of the rpo game so much because if i'm a quarterback at the end of a football game yes this is designed to run the football but like i still have to go through my read a little bit and be like oh no i can't i can't run against that loaded box just get the ball out there real quick you know what i mean like that type of stuff i think is beneficial for growth i just hate just putting a player in just to hit a quota basically and there's no growth at the end of the day for it well and that's kind of that was kind of my issue with it ryan was 
you're saying, well, we got this guy in the game, but but you really didn't give him a chance to develop as a player. Exactly. And and there's a, look, it, defenses don't keep. It'd be one thing if the defense was just still running their normal defense, and and we're running trick plays. Well, yeah, that's running up. But like you're you're putting eight in the box, you're blitzing nonstop to try to get the ball back for some reason. And we're just supposed to have our young kids who busted their humps all week in practice just take that beating? No, right. you put a. I'm not teaching because here's the thing: you're teaching bad habits. Yes, you're telling your quarterback, "Hey, if they put nine in the box and blitz everybody, you're still going to hand it off." What if the next week he has to get into a situation where he can't do that because he's got to go in the second quarter because your starter got hurt? I just I don't think that makes you better. I think the growth point you focus on, Ryan, is the big key. That's a very big key. I have a super chat from Charlie Weiss's last belt loop. He says, hi, IB. I just want to give a quick apology. Any great army takes time to build. Marcus Freeman is doing that currently. It won't be overnight process, but patience is needed, and I need to remember that. I, I think I appreciate that, Charlie, but I think another thing that gets lost here is some of us, some of, I won't say some of us because I don't think that I do this, but we have to be able to separate a couple things. Number one is, being able to say, this is the guy that I wanted. I'm not a big fan of this coach. And I don't, and I'm going to voice, I'm going to voice my displeasure. That's fine. I do that. And, and sometimes we have to be willing to have our opinions changed by other people whose knowledge we respect. Right. I did that with Joe Rudolph. That's not happening with Marty Biagi. I need to see it before I change my opinion. And I hope if he's a special teams coach, we expect him to be that, that he does change my mind. I always like being wrong if my if my opinion is is something that's not good for Notre Dame. I hope he proves me dead wrong. The point, however, is you can't let things like that then just this is what's going on with you, my man. And and and, and I and I love your passion because people like you are why we're able to do this because of that passion. But you tend to allow that thing to cloud everything. So everything that's happened in the last couple of weeks. There are some people that just bring the whole Andy Ludwig thing into everything. Okay, well, if you didn't screw up the Andy Ludwig thing, you wouldn't have to hire Joe Rudolph. Okay, I get that, but that doesn't define Joe Rudolph. That defines Jack Swarbrick. Yeah. And and now everything. So, like, uh, I have people who I know and respect, and I understand where they're coming from. Like, well, well, Freeman's not making this hire. Jack Swarbrick and Ron Paulus are. I think Jack Swarbrick and Ron Paulus, from what I know, Pretty much very, would be very happy if Marty Biagi is the special teams coach. And and I wouldn't be shocked if they, last year, brought him up to Marcus Freeman. But just because they're making a recommendation doesn't mean that Marcus Freeman is hiring that guy because of them. Marcus Freeman's not hiring a coach because it's his buddy. There has been buddies of his that he has not hired to hire other people. Because those people were better for the job. There are buddies of his that he has brought in that have done a great job. And so we have to try to take each instance and and evaluate it for what it is and not put our own spin on things that don't exist. So the reality is, is if, if Marty Biagi is a special teams coach, it's because he's the guy that for whatever reason, Marcus Freeman felt was the best guy for him to hire. Simple as that. And and so, yes, Jack Swarbrick botched the OC thing. Botched it. Him and Ron Paulus botched it. But that doesn't mean that now they're this 
evil empire that's slowly like manipulating every single situation to screw over Marcus Freeman. That, that like now we've gone too much in the other extreme. Like there's two extremes here. One is to believe everything that Notre Dame tells you, right? If you want to belong to that cult, more power to you, right? Whatever. I'm just, I've never been a person that just believes everything that somebody I like tells me. No politician, no actor, no coach, no anybody, no parent, no anybody is somebody I just blindly listen to. I'm always going to give you my opinion on it, right? But it's but some people just, oh, Jack Swarbrick, yo, Driscoll, you're wrong about what happened to the OC thing based on what? Well, Jack Swarbrick said this. Okay, and he has no motivation to lie <laughs> about this at all? None? Okay, sure. Right, whatever, buddy. But then there's the opposite spectrum of he's this evil wizard that's trying to, in every situation, screw Notre Dame over somehow. And like, that's equally as wrong and trying to incorporate everything that happens that you don't like is somehow because Jack Swarbrick's waving his evil wand. I'm not a big Jack Swarbrick fan, but it, it's beyond ra- it's beyond irrational in my view to, to turn everything that happens bad into what's his fault. If Marty Biagi works out, are you going to give credit to Jack Swarbrick? No, you're going to give credit to Marcus Freeman. And if he doesn't work out, I'm not blaming Jack Swarbrick because this is Marcus Freeman's hire. Now, the OC thing, we can have a different conversation about because he was clearly, we have evidence that he did something that cost Marcus Freeman from bringing in the guy that he wanted. Okay, but that doesn't, that shouldn't be how the lens do we look at everything now. And I think that's the thing is, because what happens is, is now everything you're turning into a negative. Everything turns into a negative and it just becomes overwhelming. And it's just like, you don't, not everything has to be this. If you have evidence that this is something that Marcus Freeman's forcing on or uh, is having forced upon him, then display your evidence. Otherwise, let's just assume that this is what Coach Freeman's doing. Last part of this, Ryan, and this is true for me and Ryan and everybody, just because we don't like a hire doesn't mean it's the wrong hire. It's my opinion that Marty Biagi is not the best guy for the job. For me, there's like three or four guys I would have pushed for. Uh, number one is LeVar Woods from Iowa. Like him and Justin Ludwig from Vanderbilt, for me, would have been easily the two. I mean, you go look at Iowa's numbers every year, they're top 10 in, in efficiency every year. Now, he might have not been able to come. He's an Iowa grad, right? But like that would have been a much better hire. Justin Ludwig would have been a much better hire. There's a few other guys that just every year just putting out great special teams that would have been better than Marty Biagi. That's my opinion. But does that mean a year from now I'm going to be right and Marcus Freeman is going to be wrong? I hope not. I hope he's right and I'm wrong. But but my thing is I think that's part of it too is I voice my opinion about Marty Biagi. Now I'm going to lay out my case for what's good about him, what I don't like about him. But now it's he's a special teams coach. Go get her done, buddy. Let's get it done. Be the guy that Marcus Freeman thinks you are. And I think far too many people seem to have this thing where they'd rather be right than it to be good for Notre Dame. Like if they think something's wrong, they would rather that guy prove them right and that be bad for Notre Dame than for them to say, you know what, this guy was better than I thought he was. And I don't think we should do that. So I just I feel like we're just doing too much of this turning everything into some deep conspiracy and it just takes away from rational discourse. And, and I think that's kind of the issue, Charlie is um, 
I just I just want to see us be able to say, hey, look, I don't like this hire. Here's why. State your case. And then, you know, let's have a conversation, a discussion about it, but stick to what we know. Instead of jumping onto a board saying, well, this is just Marcus Freeman hiring a buddy, and this is going to be a disaster. Well, what evidence do you have that this is what he's doing? I don't have evidence that that's what he's doing. I think there's something that Marcus Freeman genuinely likes about Marty Biagi as a coach. I genuinely believe that. I don't agree with it, but I think he's hiring him for what he believes are the right reasons. And now I hope that he's right. So I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt, which we should all do for Notre Dame fans, and give him a little bit of trust. But trust doesn't mean I just have to blindly follow. And that's the other thing that drives me nuts, Ryan. It's like, well, you say you trust Marcus Freeman, right? So you should like this hire. I'm like, no, that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard of. Right? Yes, I have a ton of respect for Marcus Freeman, but I'm also not a member of a cult where I just have to believe everything he says. You know what I mean? I'm going to give you my honest opinion, let you know why I don't agree, and then we'll move on. And I hope and I hope he's right. We should all be rooting for that. And I think that's kind of where I come from with this conversation, Charlie, is we just need to be able to have more rational conversation without jumping off the deep end, everything, something happens that we don't think is the best hire and and be able to have a little bit more of a, of a mature discourse about these, including if you don't agree, if you think something's great and I don't think it's good, don't come at me with the whole, oh, you're this. You're... Give me a reason why I'm wrong. And I've, I've been begging people to do this, Biagi. Give me a reason why I'm wrong. Well, so-and-so thinks he's good. I, I don't care what someone thinks. Give me evidence. So, like, here's one, Ryan. I wasn't high on the Joe Rudolph hire, right? People I know and respect were able to kind of have conversations. We said, well, look at this. You don't just ru- average the numbers of rushing yards they're averaging a year by accident, sure. right? You don't per- you do not do this by accident. You you know, look at this. Consider this. You know, he was a, a coordinator, and that was more of the problem Wisconsin than it was the technical play of the line. Those are all rational arguments that are evidence-based, in my opinion, or at least rational. But when you just sit there and say, well, so-and-so respects him. Okay, but but why? And then I present my evidence why I don't like this hire. And if all you have is, well, you're negative, you need to trust Marcus Freeman. Well, that that's, that's a cult-like answer. That's not a real football conversation. And I want to talk football. Well, and as I show with Joe Rudolph, Ryan, if you can make a good case for me, and then I dive into the film and I see where you're coming from. I'm going to, I'm going to be open to that. And I've come around on the Joe Rudolph hire. I, I am. I'm, I get it now. I'm with you now. There's probably guys I liked a little bit better, but I see the, I see it. I'm uh, okay. Let's roll. I've been asking people to do that with the, the special teams hire. Nobody's done that yet. It's just, well, you need to just trust Marcus Freeman. And if you're someone who wanted that, this is not the show for you. I don't just blindly follow things. There's other shows you can do that for where they're just everything Notre Dame does is wonderful. This ain't it. And I would hope everybody would want some rational thought. You doesn't mean you have to agree with me, but you at least know that I'm I have a reason why that I feel that way. And that's all I ask for. Give me a reason why I shouldn't feel this way. And I hope somebody does. I wish Marty Biagi'd call me and explain to me why I'm wrong. It'd be great. But nobody's given me that reason yet. And and that's why I haven't changed my mind here. Whereas with Joe Rudolph. I've done, I wouldn't say a full 180, but it's about a 150. How about that, Ryan? About a 150 on Joe Rudolph. Well, I I would say this. I mean, we talked about this a little briefly yesterday, Brian, but historically speaking, blind followings is always a good idea, right? I mean, I think if history has taught us anything, that's probably not a good thing to do, but that's a different conversation for another day. I would say this, though. Example was last year when they hired Chancey Stuckey. 
right? I mean, was he the first guy on our list? Was he the second no. guy on our list? He wasn't even on our radar, right? No. And at the time, we're like, that's a questionable hire. Well, I'm sitting here a year after that, and I'm like, you know what? That was a pretty dang good hire, yes. man. <laughs> like, yeah, good job, Marcus. And that's that, that. I think the end all be all to this conversation is this. Just because you have your guy that you think is the best guy for the position, it doesn't mean that that's the only guy. That's kind of where the end all be all is, right? Is, 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 do I think that Andy Ludwig was potentially the best guy for the job? I did. And I voiced that several times. Does that mean that Andy Ludwig was the only guy who could be a good offensive coordinator? No, that's not what Correct. that means at all. It's not what that means at all. So we'll sit back, we'll watch, and we'll see if it was the right hire. I hope it was. I hope everything works out. And it's the same thing about, you know, I mean, like Joe Rudolph wasn't first on my list either. But, like, again, it's one of those things where does that mean Joe Rudolph can't coach? No, that's not what that means. It just means that he wasn't the top choice in your opinion. Right. But so we'll And it doesn't mean we'll that our listen. takes are correct. Yeah. That's the other part. He may end up being a guy that is the perfect fit for this job. Hope he is. And that's man. all I'm asking is Hope like, is. I just don't want the next eight months to be a nonstop wine fest about things that go the way that we wanted them to go. Yeah. You voice your opinion, you made your case, you have your debate, debate's over. The guy's hired. Now we move on and hope that the people that argue for this being a great hire are correct. Well, and, and Brian, I mean, can I say this? I, I think, I, I mean, I would say this pretty, pretty soundly is that we both want what's best for Notre Dame, but sure. Notre Dame to be successful. Do you think I want to badmouth a hire and then to be right at the end? Absolutely yeah. not. I want Notre Dame to win a championship. Right. I voiced that millions of times on this show already, man. Like, I want to. I want Notre Dame to win a national championship. I want them to be the best version right. of themselves. So if that means that they make a hire that I'm not a big fan of, I sure hope that I'm wrong. Because sure. at the end of the day, I want Notre Dame to be successful. That's you know what else is isn't there. good for Notre Dame? No accountability. That was yeah. one of the biggest problems of Brian Kelly. There was too many people that just towed the company line because they were afraid they'd get they'd lose access or you know not get information or whatever else, and they would just tow the company line and. How does that help Notre Dame? So, like, oh, you you need to support. Like somebody said one time, you shouldn't say that this is a must get because if they don't get the guy, it makes Notre Dame look bad. I'm like, so I'm not supposed to speak true what I believe to be true, uh, or or something that I believe strongly in because you're afraid. It, uh, my job is not to be Notre Dame's cheerleader. That's not my job. My job is to give honest analysis to you all. You all are our audience. You are the people that we are speaking to. I don't care what Marcus Freeman thinks about what I say, and I can promise you, I guarantee you, he doesn't care what I think about things. Jack Swarbrick doesn't care what I think about things. I don't care what he thinks about things. I'm going to give you my honest opinion, and then you guys can decide if it's something you want to listen to based on the evidence or the argumentation or whatever, and then we'll eventually be proven right or wrong on every topic to some degree. So that's kind of... That's kind of where I'm at with it, Ryan, is we just need to be willing to have more good conversation and argument and good faith discussion without it turning into the ridiculous stupidity that we see on Twitter, which is why I say I just I always tell you, man, just to don't even just learn from, you know, my mistakes. Don't engage with people on Twitter because it's just not worth your time. You're a big Twitter fan, man. You love Twitter. Yeah. Sarcasm <laughs> is a powerful thing. <laughs> Christopher Morgan with a super chat says just taking a late lunch at work and watching on my cell. I hope I think the offense will blow up this year. Can't wait to see the running backs with JDP getting healthy. Obviously that's Jadarian Price. Yeah. I'm going to tell you what, it is going to be 
really interesting to see what this offense looks like if Price is somewhat healthy this year. The good thing, though, is they don't need him to be a high-volume guy this year. Like I said, if he's healthy, I'd have him as my kick returner and, and getting some burn in some backup moments at running back. I'm not rushing him back too soon with that Achilles. But, man, the future of this running back room looks really good, Christopher. You are it- absolutely right. If Price is near healthy, man, that is a silly, silly situation to be yeah. in. <laughs> it's yep. a silly situation, man. Yep. I mean, for me, it's like – well, not for me, but like according to some people I talked to at Notre Dame, people like part of the team. In the know, yeah. And, and, and this is multiple people. Like he was, our, he was our best running back in the spring, and it really wasn't close. Yeah. Now, keeping in mind that – Logan Diggs was coming back from a hamstring. Audrey Estime hadn't hadn't really played a lot the year before, and all. But like he was their best guy, is what people would tell me. I'm talking. I talk. This is coming from players. This is coming from coaches. And it says a lot. And then of course the the Achilles happens, and and uh, and he. But he is a. I mean, I'll tell you this right now. If you're getting into like a a, a look standpoint, like Notre Dame's got some dudes that like it's like wow, Audrey Estime is a tank. Jadarian Price is a tank. Like those guys are impressive looking athletes, and they didn't always have that at Notre Dame. With all due, with all due respect to like Sebo and and Jameer Smith, like they just didn't look like dudes. Or even Kyron. I right. mean, yeah, exactly. <laughs> very true. Yeah. Very true. Did you see that very picture true. of um? Did you see that picture after a workout of it was Riley Mills and it was Audric Estime next to each other? Yeah. Oh man, like, <laughs> I want yeah. no part of that. I want no. I points. want no part of that. No Absolutely smoke, right. sir. No smoke, sir. Absolutely right. All right, let's get to some more questions. David Lowe asks, Brian, do you still think that Notre Dame is doing enough on the NL side of things? I see the LL guys and the fans are saying they need to do way more. I have never said they're doing enough, David, ever, ever. What I'm saying is they're doing a lot more than people think. The one thing I've said from the beginning is they need to do more to tout the things that are happening. But for some reason, Notre Dame has this thing where like talking about the things that are going on with NIL with their players is like some dirty thing, right? Like they just, they, it's beneath them to speak on it. Why? Like why? And now part of it is it's not my place to go tell you what Isaiah Foskey made last year or what Kyle Hamilton made last year. What's And, and I get all that when Michael Mayer made, but to some degree you want to do more to promote these deals. You don't have to give dollar amounts, but every time Michael Mayer signed with a new company, you should be, advertising it as much as you legally can or at least have people that do that type of thing and and so that's the thing for me is like it just it gets kind of a, a little fr- like i had somebody at Notre Dame tell me like well yeah you can have players on to talk about NIL, but you need to pay them to do that i'm like i'm i'm giving them an i'm giving them the space to talk about what they're doing in nil wise to support them and you're telling me i gotta pay them to do that i'll tell you what they'd make a lot more money coming on here for free then they will by me paying them and then nobody doing anything. Right. So, you know, it just, it, that's the stuff that's weird about it, Ryan, but there's still a lot of good things going on in the NIL space at Notre Dame. They're just not advertising enough, but they're still not where they need to be. And never said that they were. So again, this is a bit of a false, a false uh, narrative here about what I've said about NIL. Notre Dame is doing a lot more for NIL than people think. Yeah. For example, Ryan, you and I know a player that signed with Notre Dame who got a close to a over a million and a half dollar offer from another school. He didn't choose Notre Dame for free. Right. Right? He's going to get some stuff from NILs related to Notre Dame. But it's not Notre Dame doing it. What I think Notre Dame needs to do is, is use their brand more 
to create some influences. And that's what I don't think they're doing enough of a job of. They're not engaged in, in, in like, look, it's a real thing. You know the rules. You want to live within the rules. Totally respect that. You're, you're a religious institution. You should be following the rules. Flat out. But within the rules, there's a lot more you can be doing. But there's yeah. a lot more is here. And not doing anything is here. And I think some fans think it's one or the other. And what I'm saying is they're like right here. They're doing a lot more than people think but they're not where they need to be. I've always felt that way. I've always said that way, said it that way. It's very tight lipped with everything too. You know, it's like if you're doing everything legally correct and you're helping people, why is that something that's like behind the scenes and not talked about at all? You know, like if I was Notre Dame and it's like, if I would use Isaiah Foskey for, for an example, right? Like if Isaiah Foskey got a nice NIL deal from a company and Notre Dame, you know, was, was helpful to him to try and to reach out to that company, for instance, that's legally fine. You didn't do anything wrong. You didn't give them any proper benefits. Why can't you talk about that? You know, that just says that you're there for your players and that you're helping to serve them, you know, and to help them be successful. I don't, I don't understand why that stuff is just so like taboo. Like you can't talk about that. Why? You're not legally breaking any rules. You're just helping people. Why are we not talking about that? I don't know the specifics of what they can and can't do. Yeah. And so, I mean, to a degree, like Marcus Freeman can't, I don't think, can be out there and be like, well, Michael Mayer had X, made next number of dollars last year. I don't think they can do that. But I, I don't sure. think there's anything wrong with Notre Dame doing more to push total numbers or, you know, general total numbers or listing all the companies maybe that our players had relationships with. There's a lot more that, 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 that I'm confident they can do that they're not doing. And that's the thing is embrace NIL. If you want to embrace it legally – Yes, good. You should, but don't yep. just pretend like it's a thing you have to do because this is what bothers me. It's like Notre Dame has always made this case. Jack Swarbrick's like, well, you know, if players are going to be in this, they should be paid for it. And we, we believe in players make, okay. But if you believe that, then why aren't you doing everything in your power to make sure that you're promoting that? Right. And that's the thing that I don't understand. It's like, are you just giving lip service to it? Right. Are you just giving us the political answer or are you telling us what you believe? Cause if you believe that, then you guys should be investing a lot more resources as part of the institution to do that. And not even just for football, but for all your student athletes. You know, this is what we talked about last week, Ryan, when we talked about the, the, the SID and the communication aspects of Notre Dame. There are so many things they're not doing to promote these student athletes on social media. They, they do things, but it's like, well, we, we promote. No, but you don't do it enough, right? Like, do it more. I mean, just flood it. Get these make, kids' make names them out there. Yes. Make them visible. Yeah. Yes. Right. Use your platform. It's kind of like – you know, you know, I follow politics, but it's always like, you know, and anytime there's like a, a, a presidential election period where one of the presidents is the incumbent, he yep. has sort of this bully pulpit that the person contending who's not president doesn't have. Are you going to use that effectively or not? Right. To get your message out. And that's where Notre Dame needs to be is you have this bully pulpit because you're Notre Dame. Use it more. Yeah. And that's what I'd like to see them do more of. Because because they can. They have right. the resources to do it. I mean, you remember when Josh Adams was off to that great start and they did the 33 trucking stuff? It's like, that yeah. was awesome, man. Do more of that stuff. Right. That's fantastic. Right. Like, you don't think that if, if Sam Hartman's putting up, like, just hellacious numbers and he's in, like, the Heisman conversation, you don't think Notre Dame's going to pump that up, man? Like, yes, right. they are. They should. You should. Because that helps yourself. That helps your brand, but that helps Sam Hartman as well. Like that helps a lot of different people. So I just think they need to do more of that stuff, man. Like make this team visible. I want to know more about this team. 
I, I think that Notre Dame missed a little bit of the boat with the Michael Mayer, right? Like we just had arguably the greatest tight end in Notre Dame history, a school that has traditionally put out so many great tight ends. And you heard from him, right? You saw his name, but like, man, you should have been pumping him up more, man. Like that's your guy. That's an all American. Like let's get his name out there more. Like I want to see his name as much as possible. And I feel like you missed the boat with some of that stuff sometimes. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right, got a couple more super chats here. We got one from Charlie Weiss's last belt. Luke, great feedback. My concern with some of these hires. What happens if it ends up being another Al Washington? Does he allow them to just stay around? Now being fair, it's your two for Al, and he he might flip the perception. Again, Charlie, that's all fair to talk about. That that's totally fine. I mean, I'm not telling you you have to agree with everything. I'm not. What I'm saying is there's a there's two extremes: agreeing with everything just because Notre Dame does it or says it, and then just because you have this negative view, then just everything becomes negative about a couple things. Everything becomes negative, right? And what I'm saying is some things be annoyed by. I am some things be pumped about. I am, but don't let the negatives now outshine all the positives. That's my thing. And and then we're going to learn if coach Freeman has the chops to, to tell people, Hey, you got to go if they're not doing the job. And I don't know the answer to that. So it's, it's clearly a concern. We're never said it's not a concern. It's just that doesn't have to be the only thing we talk about now. We can talk about other things. And when that topic comes up, it's like yesterday when you guys were doing the recruiting show. Somebody's like, oh, you can't talk about CJ. No, I'm saying you can talk about CJ Carr. All I'm asking is, is that you break broach. I mean, if you're not sure of what's going on with CJ Carr, just say, hey, guys, what's up with CJ Carr visiting in March? Is he going to visit in March or not? Instead, it was, I'm really nervous and concerned about C.J. Carr not being on the March visit schedule. No right. context as to why. So one way, appropriate. Let's talk about C.J. Carr. Hey, Ryan, uh, why don't you think C.J. Carr is visiting for March? Well, my main question is because of a seven-on-seven schedule. <laughs> and every weekend, they're traveling around the country in a different – he's a big-time seven-on-seven guy. And it's just – it's hard to lock in a weekend because of all – so it, now – there may be legitimate reason to be concerned. Like, yeah, I'm a little concerned. He's not been as active on social media, whatever. I mean, that may be it. But my answer is like, he's already said he's locked in no matter who they hire. So yeah, it, it, I don't need CJ to tweet every week that I'm locked in to stroke my sensitivities and my paranoia about it. Right. That's not his job. He's got other things he's worried about right now. And so we'll, it, we'll, but we'll, yeah. Well, and I was just going to say, but like if, if it gets to a point where other commits in the class aren't hearing from CJ and CJ's not recruiting dudes, which has, like, been, the, that's, which has been what has happened every single time yeah. a kid starts to look around is the other commits start getting a vibe on it. Now, sometimes it's late, right? Like the Peyton Bowen thing was a fiasco last year, but yeah. not no, the other situations weren't like that. That was unique, right? Like, so, so my whole thing is, there's there's also certain ways we can bring up conversations to ask things right or to discuss things without immediately taking everything that happens with a 17 year old and jumping off a cliff about it that's my whole thing is like we don't need to just jump into oh my god the sky is falling territory let's have a conversation first perhaps we can give you some context that you didn't have before that'll make you feel better at the end of the day it's not cj Carr's job to jump on twitter once a week to reassure our feelings that's not his job. We need to be grownups about this. Because there's a big difference between saying, hey, Ryan, or hey, Brian, what, what's, the, what's the latest on CJ Carr? Have you heard anything? That's a reasonable right. conversation. Starting a conversation like, 
man, he isn't he isn't on the visitor list for this month. Should we like? Come on, man. Really, that's, right. that's not that's not right. asking me a question. Like, ask me a question. Right. We could talk. And about and, it. and all I said was like, hey, we don't need to be like that, right? Yeah. Like, we don't need to be like that. Let's. That doesn't mean that there aren't some things that can be concerned about, right? It's just um, that's kind of my thing. So Charlie, so like again, I have some of the same concerns you do, but those concerns about this hire aren't going to then make me be negative about everything else and, and just be in a constantly bad mood. I'm concerned about that. I'm excited about that. Excited about that. Excited about that. Concerned about that. We'll see how it plays out. And I hope the guy, the things I'm concerned about get proven to be positives. I hope Al Golden kills it this year. I hope he crushes it this year. Same. He does a great job. I'm, I got my doubts, but I'm hopeful. And we can discuss the reasons I have my doubts, but then still do it in a way where let's also talk about the positive. Because like, Biagi, I've talked, look, I, I, I don't love the hire at all, but you know what? Two things he's done a great job of. They block a mess of kicks and his field goal kickers are money. That's pretty important, right? I mean, uh, so so we need to be able to have both of those conversations. That's all I'm asking for. Let, let's be grown ups. Let's not do what a lot of other people do, which is you have to fall into this camp or that camp and there can't, you know, and, and, and then that has to like everything that you have that happens has to be seen through now this camp that I'm in, this tribe that I'm a part of. I now have to see everything through the lens of that tribe. And it just drives me freaking nuts. So that's my issue, Charlie. Mark and one with a super chat. Uh, thank you, Mark. With a new position, whatever they call it, team managers, general manager, have you heard what all this position is for? NIL portal, et cetera. It's mainly for roster building, making sure that because now it's not just recruiting. It's recruiting, it's retention of players, it's pursuit of transfers. There's just a lot more to it that you need someone on staff that just is devoted to that and not coaching or scouting or breaking down film or anything else. Just someone that's devoted to, we got to make sure we know where we are with all this kind of stuff. We've got some more here uh, from David Lowe. Uh, did, do y'all think the receivers production last year was more based on QB play or talent? And do y'all think Hartman will immediately elevate the talent of receivers? Let me, let me just say this, Ryan on the talent thing. The issue last year was never about talent. When you look from the receiver standpoint, the talent didn't always play well. There's a difference. The talent early Jalen, Jaden Thomas didn't lack talent early in the year. He lacked he wasn't running hard. He wasn't fighting for the ball. He wasn't playing sharp football. It, it, Lorenzo Styles never lacked talent. When he was dropping passes, hitting him right in the hands, it wasn't a talent problem. It was it was up here. It was the talent wasn't playing well. So the receivers, it, we're, we, you can't blame everything on the quarterbacks last year. I'm not blaming Drew Pine when he hits Lorenzo Styles right perfectly in the hands on a crossing route where he's wide open. That's not Drew Pine's fault. That's Lorenzo Styles' fault. That also doesn't mean Lorenzo has, lacks talent means he lacked focus and concentration at times and the talent wasn't resulting in production. But I do think the bigger problem as the season went on was the quarterback play. Yeah. I do think it is that there's, well, no I, doubt. I mean, I think that there's a lot, David, I don't think it's ever like just one thing usually, right? Like usually it's a combination of things. I, the biggest thing is that, you know, we expected last year, the sophomore class to be the, the big producers from a wide receiver perspective, you know, you, you thought it was going to be the Renzo styles, maybe Deion Colsey when he gets back and fully healthy, Jaden Thomas, and then obviously Tobias Merriweather is a freshman that we expected. I think the issue that you ran into, especially early on in the season is that like, they're still all young, right? Like they're still developing. They maybe weren't a hundred percent ready for the limelight as far as being the guy offensively down the stretch of the season though. You saw Dion get more, 
consistent. You saw Jaden Thomas develop into probably their best receiver down the stretch. You saw young guys taking the next step. So I think that it was just more, especially early on in the season, it's a maturation thing. You know, it was, you know, we weren't talking about a bunch of juniors and seniors in this conversation. We were talking about sophomores and freshmen last year. Now this year, there's not that built-in excuse anymore. You know, most of them are juniors or sophomores, and they now have an extra year where that development needs to happen. So that's a big part of it is I think just that natural maturation of being going from, a, I mean, we were, I was all, I was super excited about Lorenzo styles, but like at the end of the day, Lorenzo had a couple of really nice games down the stretch of his freshman year, but like maybe he just wasn't ready to be the guy in 2022. Like maybe he wasn't ready for that. So the maturation, I think is a big thing. Quarterback play, certainly, you know, especially, you know, there was limitations with the passing game. We know that. So I think that there's a combination of a little bit of everything. This year, there's not a built-in excuse because those guys are a year older. You have a quarterback that has proven production and proven success on the on the college level. So if we go through a year where of a of a wide receiver group not producing at a much higher level then there's some type of issue that we need to look at, right? Maybe we're overestimating the talent there. Maybe, you know, whatever it might be, the development of the position, I don't know. But regardless is that there's not as much of a built-in excuse because there were some things, if we're being realistic and being fair, there was were some things that maybe we underestimated from, you know, Tyler Buckner getting hurt, you're playing with a backup quarterback, younger wide receiver group that still needed to mature. I do think that there were some things that prevented them from being as productive as they could have been last year. But this year, there's just not as much of a built-in excuse. For me, Ryan, I think one thing that we didn't give enough respect to last year was how much losing Avery Davis was going to hurt. I just kind of thought that they'd be able to overcome it a lot easier than they did. And and I think that was, that was incorrect. I should have, because of the lack, because it's like one of those things where it's like, we didn't pay enough we didn't have enough we didn't spend enough discussion time on and we talked about it but we didn't we didn't put enough warning signs about how you know they kind of got to hit the inside straight with some of the stuff you right. know and and it was just it wasn't one thing it wasn't Avery Davis getting hurt it wasn't Joe Wilkins getting hurt it wasn't Lorenzo Styles underachieving it wasn't Tobias not playing enough it wasn't Tommy Reese's decisions it wasn't coaching it wasn't the quarterback getting hurt it wasn't any of the, to your point, it wasn't any of those one things. What hurt in her name is it was all of those things all happening together. Right. Deion yeah. Colsey getting hurt and missing development time. All of those things happened last year that kind of led to Mitchell Evans being hurt in the offseason, who was going to be the number two tight end. Uh, Eli Raritan getting hurt. Like they went through a lot last year and it was all of it together. At the end of the day, too, it's like I can't spend every show talking about but if these 13 things happen wrong this team is going to go nine and four I mean there's certain things you should kind of assume if they lose their best receiver and their starting quarterback and this and that and that and this and that then yeah they're probably going to not be as good as we think they're going to be and the wide receiver room had a big transition from a technical perspective because we talked about where that wide receiver room was left for Chancey Stuckey, wasn't a talent issue. It was a numbers issue, and it was a lack of development issue. Yeah. And, I mean, early on in the season, I think we saw those growing pains, right? Like, Chancey Stuckey's trying to get the basics down. By the end of the year, you're like, wow, Jaden Thomas is breaking off some routes now, man. Like, he's yeah. really developed as a route runner. And yeah. those things are that natural A kid maturation. that I was calling to be benched in week two. And look, right? Like, the, best receiver the way down the he stretch. played against Marshall, kid yeah. did not belong in the field. 
And then you watch him, what he became, and you're like, okay, that's what coaching is supposed to be about. And that's also says a lot about Jane Thomas because he could have quit mentally after that second game. He was bad, but he didn't. He stayed confident. And like you said, Ryan, by the end of the year, Jane Thomas pretty dang good football player by the end of the year. He was, man. He was. You know, and um, yeah, it uh, it's good coaching. And it's also a kid that's got some mental toughness and some mental fortitude to fight through. Whereas Lorenzo Siles struggled to fight through his early season, he, he to early season miscues. He allowed that to kind of get to him all year. Now he's got to learn from it and be better. So um, yeah, there, there's a lot to it. Good, good question. Good question. Jason Smith asks Ryan. He says, "Do you think Blake Fisher is still the left tackle if Joe Alt, if he, if Blake Fisher, doesn't get injured?" Probably. I mean, as long as he can, continues to develop, because I mean, he was obviously looking good and he he won that starting job outright. So I mean, I think that it's conceivable to think that you go through that initial season with Blake Fisher at left and Josh Luggett right, and then maybe the next season of redshirt freshman Joe Alt is now the starting right tackle for the team when Josh Luggett's moved inside. I, I think it's conceivable to think. I mean, re, I mean, long-term, I think that it, it played out the way it should have as far as Joe Alt being the left tackle, Blake Fisher being the right tackle. But, I mean, I, I wouldn't be shocked if Blake Fisher was still the left tackle because he had earned his opportunity to play that left tackle position. And if he was playing well – there's no reason to make a switch unnecessarily, in my opinion. If Blake Fisher would have been healthy and Jeff Quinn was still the O-line coach, I would say yes. I think that when Harry came, I think that he would have made the move. Still would have made the move. I, I, Because I, it, it would have been easier to do that, Ryan, when you have a new coach. Hey, Blake, here's why I'm moving you to right side. And you have a reason for it. Because there's reasons why Blake should be on the right side that aren't negatives. No. They're positives. And I think that would have was that move probably still would have would have happened because I think the other thing too is we would have seen as a freshman some areas where Blake would have had some of the issues that Joe doesn't have the technical things stuff like that where you know I don't know if that would have gone well I wouldn't be surprised if he stayed left tackle but I think once the coaching move was made I think you'd have seen you'd have seen a switch there in my view I do. Next question from Leighton Burkholder says, do you think it will be until fall camp for when we're able to see if Coach Stuckey has gotten styles out of the song? No, no, no. I think we'll start to see that this spring. And here's why I say that, Leighton. We started to hear some of those things last spring about how he was having the drops and some of those issues. If Lorenzo's out there in the spring making plays, then I'm, 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 I'm going to feel better. If he's consistently catching the football, I'm going to feel better. Because here's the thing. If he hadn't done what he did in 2021 – I'd say, yeah, I need to see it in games. The thing with Lorenzo is we've seen Lorenzo ball out in games. We saw him smoke Oklahoma State in a bowl game multiple times. We saw him make plays against Virginia and USC and North Carolina. We've seen Lorenzo be that guy. That's where all of Ryan and I's excitement came from is if look what he did the last five, six games of the year. This kid was pretty good, you know, and it, so it's, it'd be one thing if like, like with Tobias, still a lot of our feeling of Tobias is still projection. It's projecting what we think it could be. He's only caught one pass. With Lorenzo, it's more about let's get him back to what he was before he kind of lost his way. So um, if he's out there making those plays in practice, which is an area he struggled last spring and fall, then I'll feel a lot better that he's out of his funk. 
I, I will. Because Lorenzo's the type of guy, he's never looked over, he never looked overwhelmed in games as a freshman. He never looked like the moment was too big for him or the spotlight was too big. He, I never saw that from Lorenzo. And I don't think that was his issue last year. I mean, he went for 54 yards on the first play of the game against his dad's alma mater. I don't, I don't think the moment was too big for him. I think he put a lot of pressure on himself. I don't think his attitude was always where it should have been as far as he still had a lot to earn that I don't think he thought he should have to earn anymore. I think a lot of things kind of happen, which can happen with young players. Trust me, I've been there uh, as a player where you you think certain things as a young player that, that don't go your way. You don't always handle it the right way. I, I, I went through that as a player. So I think if he's those mistakes are behind him in, the, in, in, in March and April, Ryan, then I'm going to feel great about what Lorenzo is going to be in the fall. Because I don't, I don't think him proving it in games is an issue. I think he's proven it in games. What we saw last year was the complete opposite of what he's already shown. That's that's why I have optimism that Lorenzo can get it turned around. This isn't a kid that had drops problems in high school and you hope he's going to be fine, and then he comes out as a sophomore and he has drops problems. This is a kid we've seen make tough catches in, in college football games. Now, I want to see him lay out for that one ball against Oklahoma State. But other than that, you kid caught the football well, really yeah. well as a freshman in my view. Yeah, and I mean, you've seen him in those videos this offseason, the workout videos, and it looks like he's working hard, man. Like, I, I, I'm i still very hopeful for Lorenzo Styles because I think the kid is exceptionally talented. I really do. Sometimes, as a younger guy, it's hard to fight against adversity sometimes. It is. You know, sometimes that's just a maturity thing. He's a year older. He's going to have a clean slate, a little bit of a clean slate this offseason as far as, like, man, let's get back on track here, man. Like, spring ball is big time now. Let's go into the fall with feeling good about ourselves, and let's see where the chips fall. Like that's kind of where I am with Lorenzo Styles. I am cautious with it. I'm not going to buy into the hype this offseason, even though I know he's still very talented. But at the end of the day, man, he was only a sophomore, a true sophomore last year. He's only going to be a true junior this year. Being thrust he into the still you're the time. guy role. Yeah, I mean, that, that's the reality. He was thrust when Avery went down. Lorenzo had to be that guy, and I just don't think he was ready for it. Now the expectation is he's not going to start this year. So he's coming at it from a completely different point of view where the pressure is now gone from it for him. And it's dude, just go ball. Just don't worry about all that other nonsense. Don't worry about what you think you should be doing or shouldn't be doing. Just go ball. Because if you ball, the rest takes care of itself. It yeah. does. So that's kind of where I'm at with it, Ryan. That's where I'm at. We have a super chat down here from Christopher Morgan. Christopher says, so when I was talking about running backs in the offense, imagine – with Sam Hartman, a quarterback with our stable of running backs and wide receivers coming in, I think we would be more balanced teams and we'll have to think more. Prediction 2023, we averaged 43 points per game. That would shock me. <laughs> 43 is a lot. That would shock That's me. A lot. I, 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 like 43 points a game is an insane number uh, when you play the schedule that Notre Dame plays. It, it really is. What's it, what's the Notre Dame record? It has to be something they, like. Uh, points per game, I think it's like yeah. 38 something like yeah. that. Or th- uh, 36. There was a team, one of Era's teams set the record. I can't remember which year it was. Uh, I'll actually have to go back and look. I'll have That's- it here before the end of the show. But the team that they had a couple years ago that averaged like 36 something, uh-huh. that, was, that set a Notre Dame record for uh, total points in a season. And, and so that was the 2019 team, and they fired that offensive coordinator, by the way. Uh, real real smart move uh, there, uh, Coach Kelly. But, um, yes, Ryan, so it's 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 in the 30s. Like, so the the, the 2000 – is it 66? It's, it was an era team. So uh, I think it was 68. They scored 37.6. That might be it. If Notre it, Dame – It's 37.6, Ryan, is, is the gotcha. record for points in a game. 
If Notre Dame scores 43 points per game against the schedule that they have in front of them, they're going to win the national championship. Uh, e- easily. I'll say that. Like, easily. <laughs> yeah. Easily. It's just that's way too high uh, yeah. for me. Um, I mean, like I said, Georgia last year scored 41.1, and then the year before they were 38.6. I mean, you're talking about you're talking about Clemson 2020 and, and LSU 2019 territory there. You know, and uh, I just, you know, and look, there's teams that do that, right? Ohio State scored 44 and 45 points the last two years, right? Alabama scored 48.5 the COVID year. LSU scored 48.4. Those teams were insane, and those teams also had uh, softer schedules than what Notre Dame's going to face. I'm sorry. And I know Ohio State fans don't want to hear this, but Ohio State, the Big Ten's not good. It's just not. It's not good. They, They pad stats against really bad teams. Now, does that mean Ohio State doesn't have an elite offense? They do, and I think the other thing, too, is when you consider they scored 44 points a game with Jackson Smith and Jigba playing like two games last year yeah. and Travion Henderson being hurt almost the whole year and then Maya Williams going down and Evan, Evan Pryor went down. Like, I'm not trying to take away from them. I'm just saying you put them in the SEC, they're still an elite offense. They're just an elite offense that scores about four or five points fewer a game. That's all I'm saying, right? And so uh, that's kind of my point on that, right? It's 43 points per game for the way that Notre Dame and they're kind of a tempo team. They, they, they run a lot. Notre Dame's not that way. So 43 is a lot. If Notre Dame gets to 38 or above, that's outstanding. Yeah. I mean, that's a school record. That's outstanding against the schedule they play. Cause if y'all think their schedule was tough this year, next year's schedule has a better combined record of what teams did in 22 than the 22 schedule had. And yeah, it's, it's going to be a challenge. So 43 is really optimistic, but I think Ryan is right. If then if Notre Dame scoring 43 points a game next year, they're winning the national championship. If that's their average by the end of the year, they're winning a national championship unless their defense yeah. is just God awful, which I don't think that it will be. I mean, it can't be that bad. To, no, like <laughs> even that, to me, like... the defense won't be worse than it was last year. Sure. And the reality is the defense was the, the the defense was the primary reason for one loss last year. Sort of. Yeah. And that's USC. I thought they had a terrible game plan against USC. But the offense still had chances to get them back in the game. The defense choked in the fourth quarter against Ohio State, choked in the fourth quarter against Marshall, and gave the game away in the fourth quarter against Stanford. That's true. But in each one of those games, for the entire game, the offense was the problem. It, look, did they choke away the fourth quarter against Ross? Yes, but they still held them to 21 points. They held a team that scored 44 points on the entire season to 21 points. That's yeah. your offense's problem. They lost to Marshall. The defense only gave up 19 points to Marshall. That's it. That's it. The defense only gave up 16 points to Stanford. That's it. So for as much as we bang on Al Golden, and some of it, a lot of it's justified. I mean, I don't think he did a great job last year. It's didn't do a great job relative to how good they've been in the past. This is what this is what kind of gets me sometimes. It's like if I say something critical, some people will take it and like run with it as if it was like Brian Van Gorder. It's like, whoa, hold on a second. <laughs> it wasn't as good as what Mike Elko, Clark Lee, and Marcus Freeman did, but let's not jump off a cliff and turn it into this. You didn't lose four games last year because of the defense. You didn't. Now, the defense didn't do enough in those games to win either, but you lost because of your offense. If Notre Dame is a legit 38-point-per-team game this last year, legit, they're 11-1, if not 12-0. If the defense doesn't change a lick, Ryan, 
if the defense is exactly what it was last year, but you have the 2015 offense, Notre Dame's undefeated last year. No, no question. No question. I, I, I think we need to establish a Brian Van Gorder line, by the way. Like Brian yes. Van Gorder's right down here. Greatness is somewhere up there, right? Like there needs to be a line that even is like approaching Brian Van yes. Gorder. Like we need to yes. make a line there and establish a middle yes. ground because it's yes. <laughs> it's either you're it's either you're really good or you're Brian Van Gorder. And it's like, ah, that's, yeah. that's, that's, there's a lot of levels yeah. in between. The, the, and, and Al Golden last year was not in the same universe as what Brian Van Gorder was. He was he wasn't that far away from the previous coaches. It just wasn't up to the standard. It should have been, and it was unforced errors as to why it went that way. That was more my frustration. Al Al Golden definitely cleared the Brian Van Gorder line last year. Yes, he was nowhere near that line. If Al Golden was Notre Dame's (laughs) defensive coordinator in 2015, that team's probably undefeated. Right. I'm sorry. So let's just, like, you know, not that he, Christopher, saying that, but I think 43 points per game is a little... Oh yeah, it's a little a little optimistic for me. I'm here for it though, man. But I I'm love it. I hope. This, hey, again, Ryan. I hope I'm wrong. I love when I'm wrong when it's about stuff like that, dude. I, I know. I know you have a new quarterback potentially this year and everything. But like, if Jared Parker takes a 31 point per game team and then t- takes the transfers into a 43 in his first yeah. year, like, oh man, Royals <laughs> award. Yes, yes exactly. <laughs> exactly. Uh, Mark one with a super chat. Thank you, Mark. Is Notre Dame giving your team much opportunity to view spring ball and player availability for interviews? We don't know what the spring availability is going to look like at this point in time so i don't i don't know we will have interviews so as soon as our uh show's over tomorrow we'll be heading over to notre dame they're gonna have player availability tomorrow well i will ryan's not gonna be leaving jersey to get there in time it'll be a little late so uh but i will sean Styers and i'll be there uh to cover that but as far as practice availability mark i honestly don't know what we're gonna have i'll just do the uh i'll do this show on the road and i'll just drive yeah. the 11 hours yeah. to uh yeah yep yep absolutely all right. Uh, so, so Archer said, "Hey, we can all play that game. Pair last year's off Ohio State offense with their 2019 defense, and they win every game by two scores." You're kind of missing the point, Archer. We're trying to say, give context to he wasn't as bad as people make him out to be. That's the whole point. So it, it'd be kind of like saying, um, if you're going to look at the two to better examples, the 2021 Ohio State offense. If the 2021 Ohio State offense had the 2019 Ohio State defense, I think they win the national championship. There's not a doubt in my mind, Ryan, that they win the national championship. But the point is, is it's to say, hey, we can be frustrated with how the defense was, but it wasn't abysmal, right? Like, that's the whole point. Like, you can say what you're saying about last year's defense. Last year's defense was not championship level, but it was way better than it was the year before, right? I mean, I think we should all be able to agree with that. And it's simply to say, we can be critical of something, but let's have some context here because you're acting like this guy was a bum. Al Golden was not a bum. He didn't do a good enough job. Simple as that. But we can take that didn't do a good enough job and take it way too far. So now we're being obnoxiously hyperbolic. And I just don't, I just don't want to be that guy. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about, but why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? 
Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality. Uh, Archer452 also says, um, what is your favorite non-standard number position combo? Quarterback Devin Brown, this is at Ohio State, changed his number to 33 in honor of Sammy Ball. All I'm going to say is I just hope he doesn't start this year because I do not want to watch a quarterback wearing number 33. I Can I just say how much I hate watching quarterbacks when they have n- n- l- numbers under 20? Like when uh, Heath Shuler. You mean uh, over 20? You mean over un- 20? It, when, they, when they're when they wearing something other than under 20, yes. Gotcha, gotcha. So like – who so like Jared Lorenzen had a number over that? He was twenty, I think. Keith Schuler, like I hated it. Doug like, Flutie was twenty. Remember um, when Devin Gardner switched to ninety eight? Now yeah. again, it was yeah. for a good reason. It was to honor Tom Herman, I think is who it was. It was Mark or Tom Harmon, who's actually Mark Harmon's dad, by the way, who's Jethro Gibbs from NCIS. His dad was actually whose number that was. He's a great football player at Michigan. Uh, was it dad or grandpa? I think it was his dad. Yeah, but um, I just I don't like it. I just, I think it looks weird. I just, I don't want to see it, to be honest with you. So go Kyle McCord. Let's win that starting job, buddy. But uh, I mean, I, I respect the kid for honoring a, a legend of the past. That's, that's all cool. That's I, no problem with that. I just, I don't, I don't want to look at it. <laughs> that's do, you, all. do you have a favorite combo? I love nose tackles in the single digits. I think yes. that's fantastic. Yeah. Fantastic. For me, anytime a linebacker or defensive lineman is a single digit guy, for me, is it? Oh, I man. Just, I, I, I like linebackers with 44, man. 44 linebackers. That's because you're a former yeah. linebacker. I just yeah. think it makes you look like an athlete. I think it makes you look like a stud. Like like Manti wearing number five, just added to that mystique. Jalen wearing number nine. Stephon is... wearing number seven. If you're a sing- Here's the thing, though, Ryan. If you're yeah. going to be a single digit guy and play D line or linebacker, you better be a dude. Because otherwise, your averageness will stand out a lot more. There's never, there's never been a player that wore number one where he didn't at least look like a dude, right? You're like, oh, he's hey, wearing number one. How, he's pretty good. <laughs> so Notre Dame released their newcomer roster, yep. and they had Javante Jean Baptiste wearing number one. And I hope that doesn't change because I'm so sick of talking about the why don't they wear the number one jersey? Because it was so stupid when they got rid of that thing. Because and he did it because Brian Kelly did that thing that one year where he's like, different players are going to wear number one. That started in 2016. Yeah. And then it didn't work and they were disaster. And he like blamed the number one somehow for like, we're never going to wear number one again until we're back to number one. Hey, bro, the reason that we're not there is your, it's your fault, right? I mean, you're the, you know, we fell under that on your, during your tenure. Okay. So, uh, but it's just dumb. And now hopefully they get rid of it. And, um, and, and yeah, I, I, I think I like too, as far as number combos, I like numbers where, the best guy here gets that number. Like, remember when Temple did something under Matt Rule? They still do it. Yeah. They still do that. They do, the, they that do the, cool. the, the, the single digits is the, for toughness yeah. or whatever. Yeah. And then yep. there's other places where, like, if you're the best linebacker, you get this number because, yeah. you know, I think stuff like that's pretty cool. Or like but, LSU with the seven and yeah. the 18 jerseys. Yeah. yeah. But for me, as far as just non like that, it's, it's D linemen and linebackers that wear single digits. And that goes all the way back to, I mean, for me as a fan, Corey Miner, uh, you know, some of those, some of those guys that play for like LaRon Cobbins, he wore number six. He was a, 
he just looked like a dude wearing number six. You know what I mean? I just have always, I've always liked that. I, I used to love, uh, you know, Lewis Nix was rocking one. Stefan yeah. Toot was rocking seven. Like, yeah, man. Yeah, yeah man. Yeah. Tyler Eerig says, Ryan, as a linebacker, uh, with which, uh, as a linebacker, which current or former Notre Dame player would you not want to meet one-on-one in the open field? See, this question would be taken two different ways, Tyler. I mean, because most people would think that that's saying, like, who is going to truck stick me, right? But, like, I would actually be more worried about being with a fast player at the open field. You know, that's got some moves, personally. Mm-hmm. But if I'm going, like, truck stick, I mean, current right now, like, I would not want to meet um, – I would not want to meet Audrick Estime with a head of steam. Like, absolutely not. Jerome Bettis, like, I would not want to meet those guys with a head of steam. Rocket Ishmael is a, a guy in the open field I would not want to see because he'll make me look really, really yeah. stupid. Golden Tate's another one that would make see, me look that's really, the question, really Ryan. stupid. Would you yeah. rather get run over or juked out oh, of your I, I, I would. I would rather get run over than jukes. Okay. Yeah, juke's embarrassing, right. man. Like, they fall on your face like you're hugging right. air. So it would right. be, in that case, it would be Rocket Ishmael or it would be Golden Tate because yeah. they would make me look stupid in the open field. That's my thing. It's like, I'd rather you just, hey, man, you're 30 pounds bigger than me. Of course you ran me over. As opposed to, I'm not athletic, which is what that kind of, that vibe that thing gives across. Like, that is, that is, that is, yeah, yeah. Like, I've always thought, like, NBA, like, you'll see these NBA highlights where it's like, you know, guys just dunking on people. Like to me, that's not nearly as embarrassing as like one of my favorite uh, highlights is uh, Bird hits Dominique with like a jab, step back, and Dominique yeah. falls down, and Bird just looks at him for a second and then drains it. It's like that's I just like I just took your manhood on that one. You know what I mean? Like you remember that's what a- again? Yeah, you remember what AI crossed up Jordan oh, as yeah. a rookie? In? Yeah, <laughs> that yeah. was nice, man. Like that, that to nice. me is like oh man, as opposed to dunking on someone. I just I don't know. It's the same thing for football. So. And other people just they don't they they don't want to get dunked on. I mean, Nathan, there are some di- there are some disrespectful dunks out there, man. There, there are. are some disrespectful oh, yes. ones, though. <laughs> yes, Nathan Milton says uh, thought unproven. I think wide receiver is our best offensive unit this year. Uh, I would I would not predict it, but I also wouldn't like I'd be surprised if that happened, but I wouldn't be shocked. Does that make it's, does that make sense, yeah, Ryan? That, I, I would say that there's a reality where that happens, but I think the more likely reality is that it's offensive line, maybe quarterback, running back. Like, I, I mean, it's just it's so close, Nathan. Honestly, because I think when we get to the defensive side of the football, I think there's like clear tiers as far as like what's good and what's troubling. Right on offense, it's like running back's pretty good, quarterback should be pretty good, offensive line should be good. And then it's like wide receiver might be last on that list of like proven commodities, but like you're like, I still expect wide receivers to be a good unit. Like I still do. Yeah. So that's an, it's an interesting conversation though, just because I feel like they're a lot closer together than what we see on the defense side of the ball right now. I wanted to bring something up because this is really cool. Andy Norm says, no question here, but a proud dad, but a proud dad of three new Irish friends after 30 childless, uh, 30 years childless. My wife and I just adopted a sibling set of three here in Ohio. They don't like OSU and already love Notre Dame. Blessed. Hey, that is great, Norm. Congratulations very, very much. My cousin went through something like that uh, a few years ago, and I know it can be a challenge, man. We're happy for you, uh, praying for you, and very excited for you. Uh, you know, I, I, my wife and I are we're childless, and you know, sometimes I'm okay with it, and sometimes I'm not. So I'm real happy for you. I, I kind of. I kind of love the fact that you just also planted three new Irish fans like in (laughs) enemy territory. I think that's awesome. I love that. Uh, But we're happy for you, Norm. That's great, man. Congratulations. Absolutely. Congratulations. Um, 
David Jones says, uh, Brian and Ryan, if Gino Gadouli turns out to be a quote-unquote quarterback whisperer, how surprised would you be if Steve Angeli makes the biggest, most impressive jump of the QBs? I'd be surprised. I just – I think Tyler Buckner mechanically is – the because it's about mechanics, right? And I think Tyler yeah. Buckner would be the guy that would make the biggest jump. I don't I don't think Steve Angeli had bad technique. I think – I just don't think he's super talented. He's like a, he's just like a solid – he's like a solid yeah. talent. He's not like an yeah. extraordinary talent. I mean, I, yeah. I – yeah, I mean, I think we see that the same way. You know, it's it's Tyler Buckner's athleticism and talent level is probably the furthest apart on the on the quarterback roster from like what his technical side is as far as being advanced there. If those two things meet, Tyler Buckner's going to be a dang good football player, man. If he can stay healthy, like he's got a lot of room to grow. So I, I think that he's the he's the guy that I would lean to in that conversation as well. Like Steve Angeli, like I, I just think he's. If he's pressing a duty, he's just going to be solid, man. I just right. question if there's like much more than solid, you know? Like that's my thing with Steve. And I hope I'm wrong because he seems like a great kid. I mean, I've been around him twice around the football program. Very engaging, very smart kid. Uh, and and he's a Jersey guy, man. He's a Jersey guy, came from a good school. Uh showed in the spring. Again, it's a spring game. But showed me in the spring, he's got some poise to him. He's got some swagger to him. So I'd have no problem with that being the case. I just, it's not something I would predict and I'd be a little surprised by it. Yep. All right. Let's run through some more. Uh, Jason Smith, do you think Tyler Buckner gets called in the red zone? I mean, it's possible. I, I, I wouldn't be against there being some type of package, but I, I just don't think that it's something that like you're like, I wouldn't put him in every single red zone opportunity that Notre Dame's in next year. Right. It's just against certain teams. Maybe if they're a little bit slower on the second level, maybe if they're a team that you know likes to crowd the box a little bit and guys that you 100% know are going to play man coverage, like then I'm getting Tyler Buckner in the game because I think that there's an advantage that I could create there. But that doesn't mean that every single red zone opportunity next year, I'm just going to go, hey, Tyler, you're in the game. Like that's that yeah, situation. As soon as you get inside that. the 20, you're putting him in the game. Yeah. I, and kind of talked about this earlier. There's some games I wouldn't necessarily do it, and other games I absolutely would. But like if there's if, if it's a slower team on the second level and they play a lot of man coverage, like heck yeah, buddy, get in there. Like a, a, any man coverage team in the red zone, I'm I'm yeah. I'm gonna strongly look at it. But if you're a team playing a lot of zone, I don't know if I want to put Tyler in the red zone in that situation. Coming off the off the off, here's why: coming off the bench, not getting live action during a game, zone defenses can kind of throw you off. Whereas if it's man, I pick my guy, I make my pre-snap read, and then bam, I'm throwing off of that guy. Like that's what you bring a guy off the bench to do or to throw an RPO or a bubble screen or to run. So, man, I'm doing it. But if it's a team that does a lot of a lot of uh, zone coverages or, or rolling things or messing things around, uh, I don't see anything in regard to like uh, justification for why I'd want to bring in a younger guy that hasn't played in that game into that scenario. I just I right. wouldn't I wouldn't want to do it. Uh, but man teams, teams that have don't have a lot of talent on the perimeter teams that I can manipulate into heavy personnel when I go 12, definitely doing it in, in those situations. So that's what I would, that's what I would do for personally. All right. Let's get to a few more here, Ryan. I know you got to run here soon. Here's one from Anthony Solomon. Do you, uh, actually we, um, uh, kind of talked about that. Yeah. Here's a quick one. Keith Wiegand is David Sherwood, a scholarship or is he a walk and he's a scholarship player now. So yes, he is a scholarship player. It's great for him, man. Great yep. for him. Yep. Uh, Tommy Guns asks, Ryan, what do you think that the brain trust in Nashville is thinking and looking for? If it's true that Derrick Henry is on the trading block, what might their strategy be? I mean, Tommy, their strategy is that he's a 29-year-old running back. <laughs> like, that's the strategy, man. He's like taking all, a pounding. 
Yeah, man. He has run the ball. I mean, Brian, have you ever seen – you saw his – I'm sure you've seen his high school numbers when oh he was gosh. in um, – I forget what high school he was in in Florida, but, like, so much tread on the tires. I know he didn't play – like, he played his first couple years at Alabama, but he didn't, wasn't, like, the guy until his final year. So, like, that saved a little bit of tread. But that guy's run the football a lot over the last 10 to 15 years, man, a lot. So, Tommy, I actually think it's smart, man. I know some people would disagree with this, but, like, that offense for Tennessee, they need a little bit of a reset, man. Like, they got an old quarterback in Ryan Tannehill. They got their best player is now 29-year-old at a position that doesn't usually get over 30 very often, right? And a guy that's had a lot of tread on his tires. I think it's smart to try to get what you can for Derrick Henry. Like, I think it is because I think that that offense needs a little bit of a reset. He's a guy that's starting to get a little more injured over the last couple of years than what he did early on in his career. And at the end of the day, man, 30-year-old running backs in the NFL historically – just don't usually well, last in that long. today's game. And 20 yeah. years ago, Ryan, I disagree with you. 20 years ago, I say this guy's got three or four really great years left. You build around him because the game was different. In today's NFL, I, I agree with you. I just I, I don't it's part of the reason I don't like watching the NFL. But in today's NFL, a 29-year-old power back with that's had over a thousand carries in the last four years alone. Yeah. Uh, that missed half a season in 2021. I, and, and, and to your point, you're not a, a, a wrinkle here, wrinkle there, addition here. It's not like John Elway, right? His last two years, they were man, go out, add this guy, add that guy. You're a, you're a, you're a Neil Smith, uh, this guy, this guy away from taking that next step. Th- that's not where it, the Titans are. You know, like Denver was the number one seed in, two, in 1996, got knocked out early uh, by the Jaguars. They were like, make a couple pieces, get them right, and then you're a championship team. Titans aren't there, I don't think, Ryan. And and, and so not, it's going to take offense. you a couple years to get offense. there. Yeah. And if you do get there in a couple of years, now he's a 31-year-old running back, right? And there is no value from a trade standpoint. Yeah. So to your point, I think part of it is determined by where are you as a team? If you're a couple changes away from being a playoff team, then it, you ride that horse, in my opinion. But to your point, Ryan, they're not. They're not a good offseason away from being a Super Bowl team. In my view, yeah, they, they need to and, reset offensively, man. Like, they need to figure out what long term the quarterback position looks like because Ryan Tannehill is leading. Hammered, hammered by Titans fans on Twitter. Shocker. When he when they signed him to that deal, I said this, they're going to regret the heck out of this deal because he ain't that guy. Yeah. And that's a big part to me. If you don't have him under that huge deal, I don't know if there's the need to necessarily trade Derrick Henry now. But you're a, you're a mess right now at this point in time. You've got two yeah. guys, running back and quarterback, making a mess of money. One of them's getting older, and the other one's not good. At least not yeah. that good to what his money's making. And that was the mistake I said Denver made when they traded for Russell Wilson. It's bad enough you gave up two first-round draft picks. Then you're giving them $40 million a year. Because so if, if you give up the draft picks, you're like, okay, but you can still go do some things in free agency. Now you've done that and you're paying a $40 million. Now you can't go sign the free agents you need. And you don't have the draft capital you need to go out and make those moves. And, you know, you got to be real careful. I always respect the teams that are willing to let a quarterback walk who's yeah. not, who's going to make a ton of money, but he's not worth that money. Well, it's I, like, I respect that. T- Tennessee just last offseason wasn't able to kind of put the money up for A.J. Brown. It's like you just let a 24 year old stud wide receiver walk out the door because you overpaid for a solid quarterback and gave him, you know, great money at the quarterback position and you overpaid for well you're not overpaying Derrick Henry was a good player but like you're putting too much assets in my opinion you're, into you're paying the top back dollar position. for a running back yeah in an yeah. era where that's just not it's not, good, like, it's not good money right and that that's like the Giants right and um 
yeah, the they're Cowboys. A lot of money. Cowboys, a, yeah. A lot of money to Daniel Jones. I just saw the Giants are going to re-sign Daniel Jones, and I'm like, I want to see what kind of money he's making because it's like now. But see, that's what the NFL's become, and it's one of the reasons I don't like it. Is you have to, you don't have to be that good in the in the NFL to make a crap load of money as a quarterback. Yeah, it's because it's so quarterback starved, and it's just like Daniel Jones shouldn't be making anywhere same universe as guys like. You know the, the best quarterbacks in the league, just nowhere close. He, but they he, they, they asked for forty eight mil a year to start, and the Giants were like, "Nah, no. <laughs> nah, no, no." Joe Parr says, "What I'm excited about uh, is when I think about how Jack Cohn started ripping people apart with the RPO game. I think Hartman will be even better than and, and then add that established running game. I don't disagree with you. No. I don't disagree with you." Um, Joe Medina says, "Is uh, Joe? Could you do me a favor? Is it Medina or Medina?" Because I know, like, it can be pronounced both. I know the city in uh, Ohio is Medina, yeah. and I don't know if there's Medina. So if you can let me know that, I want to make sure I'm pronouncing your name correctly. Is there a reason Tyree was not the punt returner? I think his shiftiness and speed would help our punt return become much more explosive. Ryan, I don't think Chris Tyree's overly shifty. I think he's I think explosive. He's yeah, he's explosive. I, I don't think he's a punt return type. I think he's more of a straight line make one he's a one cut and go runner he, to me he's a he's a kick returner he's a kick that's yeah. the biggest difference between kick returners kick returners are one cut straight line speed like that's what a kick returner is the punt returners are more the guys that are going to shake you a little bit in the open fields right like the guys that kind of have that quick twitch change of direction type of style like that's more what the punt returners are i don't consider chris tyree that type of guy as well he's a he's a one cut guy yeah yep uh, Brendan Manning, a little late. Sorry if asked already. Who's the better NFL prospect? This will be for you, Ryan. Uh, Logan Diggs or Audrick Estime? And am I the only one who would love to see them both go pro next year? Hashtag let the young bucks eat. So, Ryan, can you address the first part? Because I'd like to answer yeah. the second part. It's funny because I, I think that some people would kind of assume that it's probably Logan Diggs because he has the all-around profile. But I've actually talked to a couple scouts about this already. And scouts that I had talked to actually prefer Audrick Estime's style and kind of his profile a little bit more than what they've seen of Diggs so far. So I, I think that it really is dependent on what scheme you're going to, though, because I think that that's they're going to be all over the board as far as like if I'm a gap power system, right, that really wants to get downhill and be physical – I think all those teams are going to prefer Audrey Gestime, right? But if it's more of a outside zone, inside zone approach consistently, then that's probably more of the Logan Diggs type of style. But, you know, from the early conversations, I actually think that there's a little bit more love for Estime. Not that there's no love for Diggs. It's not what I'm saying at all. It's just, it, I think it really is going to be dependent on the scheme that teams run. Second part, uh, would I love to see them both go pro next year? Yes. And the reason I say that is because if they both go pro next year, the odds are they had great years. And that's yeah. good for Notre Dame. And now Notre Dame is in a situation where they can just kind of restock. You know, it's Jadarian Price, it's Jeremiah Love, it's then you have Aeneas Williams coming in and a number, another back coming in. Hopefully, hopefully for me, it's Kedron Young. I love that kid. I'd love to see him be the number two back coming in. You'd have Jerron Payne. So they're in a position where they could lose both of those guys, and then they'd probably lose Chris Tyree, uh, who will be a senior next year. But, yeah, I'd love to see them both go pro because of what it would mean for this year. But selfishly, I'd kind of like one of them to come back in 24, you know, just to give them a little something. But, you know, yeah, it uh, if they both leave, it, it's most like if they both go pro, most likely the odds are that they had a great year. And that means no yeah. game's going to be really good. And that's better for them long term as well if they Correct. are able to get drafted right because running back we just talked about derrick henry like the running back window is so limited now that like man you need to try to get to that second contract as best as you possibly can and 
jumpstarting that is always a good thing as long as guys can stay healthy. Yep. Last few, Ryan, A-Bent ND says, had Brian Kelly not left, how bad would the situation be at receiver right now? I cannot understand how he allowed that room to deteriorate so badly. It'd be in a, it'd be in a really rough spot because they wouldn't have all the guys in the roster they currently have. Yeah. The guys would have left. And they definitely wouldn't be bringing in the four receivers that they're bringing. Yeah, in. you, you 100% would not have the three Texas guys in the class. Like 100% you wouldn't have them. Not yeah. one Pro- of them. Probably, probably not Flores not either. Not one so, of them. Yeah. 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 You'd admit Malik LZ. And I mean, who's a nice player, but no. Yeah. Brokeneck Boy says, I never understood all the personnel numbers until now. Thanks for that. You're welcome. What are the schools that consider that could consider themselves tied into you besides Notre Dame? I always see Iowa and Miami in the conversation. I think those two deserve it. I I don't think Miami as much just because it's been a while since they've produced a big-time tight end. But, I mean, Miami's had some some years now where they've had, produced some pretty good tight ends. I mean, if we're um, talking about like early 2000s, Miami was insane. I mean, Jeremy Shockey and Bubba Franks and – uh, Kellen Winslow Jr. And like that was a wild stretch. I mean, more yeah. recently, I mean, Iowa just had two tight ends drafted in the first round in the same draft, right? right. Like a few years ago. Right. Sam Laporte is a pretty well liked prospect this year that'll probably go somewhere on day two, most likely. So, like, yeah. Hey, Ryan, Miami wise, uh, how is yeah. how's Brevin Jordan doing so far? He um he actually had a pretty good rookie year two years ago, and I think he was banged up this year. Okay. So I don't think he had a ton of production this David year. David Njoku's kind of started to come around a little bit. He's a good player. He's a okay. good player now. He was another yeah. guy from there. Yeah. Uh, Jimmy Graham was another yes. Miami guy that Greg did Olson. really well. Yeah. yeah. Greg Olson was a first round pick. He's another guy. I'm just going through some of these, uh, like you said, Kellen Winslow and Jeremy Shockey, I think, or you know, like in a two guys in a three year span. Bubba Franks was also a first round yeah. pick. Um, so yeah, I mean, but but Theirs is a little bit um, more recent, last 20 years-ish kind yeah. of thing. You know, Iowa, to me, um, again, also a, a tad recent to me. I think that's why, you know, like you said recently, you know, and, and I honestly, I don't, I don't really care what guys in the NFL. The fact that Hawkinson hasn't really panned out or whatever like that, they're, they're still producing really good college tight ends. George Kittle's pretty flipping good. Hey, Dallas, uh, you know, Dallas Clark back in the day, yeah, too, in like the early yeah. 2000s. They, they've yeah. had some guys. Scott Chandler is a pretty good high college tight end. Uh, but to me, the thing that puts Notre Dame over the top is Notre Dame's had some legendary guys at tight end, and they've produced so many high high draft picks. Now, they went through their own stretch there where all the tight ends they were producing were like lower round guys. You know, yeah. You're going to have Michael Mayer probably be round one this year, Tommy Tremble, Cole Komet. I mean, Notre Dame had guys that were so – Brock Wright was so bare in the depth chart that he couldn't play, but he goes to the NFL and he's a starter for the Lions now. You know, and a solid player, you know, and, and yeah. I look – because he's a great kid. I'm so happy for him. But you're going back to like – I mean, not just the recent stretch we all know about Tyler Eifert, Kyle Rudolph, John Carlson, Anthony Fasano, but you're going all the way back, you know, like back in the day, Ryan, when you're talking about they're producing the Mark Bavaros – you know, you had that stretch under Lou Holtz. We have Irv Smith and Derek Brown and Austin McBride. But then you go back to Mark Bavaro back in the 84 team. Tony Hunter was the number 12 overall pick in that 83 draft, which was the famous the quarterback draft with John Elway and Dan Marino and all those guys. Ken McAfee back in the day uh, was the number seven overall pick, you know, coming out. Dave Casper. I mean, yeah. so, so Notre Dame just for decades has been doing this. And that's why I just don't think – Anyone can contend with that. Miami's had a sh- couple stretches. Notre Dame's been doing it for more longer than I've been alive, and it's not slowing down. <laughs> it's not slowing down at all. 
John A1, is there a hierarchy of communication between assistant coaches and coordinators? For example, would a QB coach need to have more direct communication with an OC than a receivers coach? Um, depends on what the roles are. If your quarterback's coach is on the field and your receiver's coach is up in the booth, then no, the receiver's coach is going to have more to say and, have, and be the first one to talk. But it just depends on on, on the makeup of that. Uh, Jason Rose, what does Dylan Chancey, Chris O'Leary all staying at Notre Dame mean for Freeman? It means that he has a lot of coaches that are coveted but want to stay. I mean, that's what it means. I mean, we wrote about this with Brian Mason, right? That was not an easy thing for Brian Mason to do because he did not want to leave Coach Freeman. But it's like it'd be like if I was coaching somewhere else and Notre Dame called me, I'm taking it. It's my dream right. job. Right. That's what the Colts were for Brian Mason. It was his dream job. He's from Indianapolis area. He grew up a huge Colts fan. That is his Notre Dame for him. Sure. And I've got nothing but respect. For, and his fan, here's the thing, too. You got to remember, he's a, a father of young children. And his family all lives there. And he's on the road a lot. He's doing all those things. Now his wife gets to be around her family. His grandkids get her. His kids get to be around the grandparents and the aunts and the uncles. And that's so important. So important. Yeah. Um, last uh, last couple things. Do you think uh, that Coach Mike Mickens and company are able to flip Caleb Beasley? If I had to predict now, I'd say no. Yeah. I'd say no, but it, it's possible. Sure. Last two questions, Ryan. Irish yep. four five two is the ninety two dream team. I don't, you may not be able to say this because it's before your time. But is the 92 Dream Team the greatest team ever assembled across all sports? Uh, I'll say this. If we're not talking about all-star games, then I'd say yes. Because you're talking about some of the greatest to ever play. And and just uh, you're talking about like four or five top ten all-time players potentially on that team with, with Magic and Larry and Michael and guys like that. You're talking about some of the greatest to ever play the game on one team. And with the exception of Bird, they were all still in their prime for the most part. Magic was like on the downslide. He had the HIV thing. and So Magic and Bird weren't in their prime, but everybody else was still in their prime. And, man, that was a, a unbelievable collection of talent. And I don't think any of the Dream Team since can compete with what that team was, in my opinion. Well, and Olymp- Olympics is so unique too because you're taking the best players, but it's not an all-star game, right? Like right. that's kind of why the Olympics right. is such a unique thing. I mean, off the top of my head, I can't really think of anybody that's even close, really. Yeah, yeah. All right, let's get the this last one uh, real quick here, Ryan. This is a fun one from Christopher Walters. Uh, Brian, how did you get on Kelly's bad side? I, I mean, I didn't kiss the ring. I mean. That's, it's really what it boils down to. I mean, it's why I'll probably eventually get on Marcus Freeman's bad side. My job is to give you honest. You guys are who I'm accountable to. Not Brian Kelly, not Jack Swarbrick, not Marcus Freeman. As much as they want to believe that, I don't answer to them. I answer to you all. And I answer to myself and I answer to my God. And those are the people that I answer. I don't answer to Marcus Freeman or Brian Kelly or anybody else. Um, that's really what it comes down to. Brian Kelly wanted to control every little thing that people said and did, and I just didn't play that. And there got to a point in time where I started to have some kind of influence, and he didn't really like that. And that's really what it comes down to. So that's that's really all there, all it is to me. Um, so yeah, that's really it. That's really it. Um, Ryan, last thing I just want to respond to this. Timeout Tom says, I feel the jury's still out on Coach Stuckey's coaching skills. He's an Alexa recruiter, but Pine skills limited wide receiver production. I want to see it on the field before I'm all in. I think this is a misguided notion, Ryan. Is I think you 
production being a problem is only a problem if the receivers were the reason for the lack of production. You can watch a game and watch all 22 and tell if a group of receivers are coached well or not, whether the ball comes to them or not. How do they get off routes? How, how do they run their routes? How do they break off their routes? How do they get off the press? How do they handle blocking? Do they play with proper angles? Do they do all the things that are, uh, that coaching is determined? Yes. Whether or not the quarterback throws them the ball, like when I'm grading my receivers in college, Ryan, I don't not grade them if the ball didn't come their way. I still grade them on everything they had control over. And by the end of the year, the receivers were playing at a very high technical level for their age and for where they were at the beginning of the year. And to me, that is absolutely on coaching, absolutely on coaching. And I don't need you to throw me to football for me to be able to tell my if my guy did things the right way. Agree or disagree with that, Mr. Roberts, as we wrap this up. No, I mean, I, I think that that's the same thing with evaluating cornerbacks on the other side of the ball. It's like I'm not just evaluating the plays that the ball comes their way. I'm evaluating every single rep. So, I mean, I, Tom, I, I think that also there's there's some decent proof, man. Like wide receivers from a technical perspective got a lot better than where they were the previous years at Notre Dame, obviously, right? And then when you look at what he did at Baylor, I mean, the year before Baylor and the year after Baylor, Coach Stuckey did a pretty dang good job as far as getting Tyquan Thornton and those cats to be a lot better. So I thought I saw a lot of good things. I agree that, like, you want to see it take a next step up. Yeah, but, like, sure. yeah, he showed me but a lot. But there's only so much of a step you can take in one year, Ryan. And you want to know the one route that, to me, signifies all the growth that he did? There's one route this season that showed me this is why he did a great job. It was Braden Lindsay's slant route against South Carolina where he beats beat that guy, he like jabs him up, sticks him outside, and then beats him inside on to convert a third down. Never saw that before under under receivers under Coach Alexander. You definitely didn't see that from Braden Lindsey. Like that was the epitome of that's a well-coached kid with talent. That's what that was. Much more so than the bomb. That hit, him running by dudes is <laughs> Braden's always done that. That just is about speed. But that it was it was such a technically precise route at the snap, at the top end at the catch point that you're like, that's a kid that's coached well. Now he has talent. That's a really well-coached kid. And Jaden Thomas had a couple routes like that in that game too. That little angle corner that he ran to get open on that big play, that was very well done, technically. And so I, I have to give him a lot of credit for that. And again, you want to know another reason why the NFL, I hate the NFL. Geno Smith just got $105 million in three years. $52 million. It was, when, when they broke it down, though, with like backloading and stuff, it was only $25 million a year for a starting quarterback. That's, about, is that's like, still way too freaking much. That's why I, I, mean, I, just, I, I mean, 25 I mil for Geno or 40 mil for Daniel it, Jones, though. Like, I'm Neither. Gino all day. None of the above. Geno's way better than him, though. He's way better. But it's none of the above. It's none of the above. Oh, goodness gracious. Anyway, that's crazy money. Ryan, thank you so much, uh, Roman, for being with me today. We'll be back tomorrow tonight. Obviously, IB Nation Sports Talk will be here. Uh, tomorrow, Ryan and I will be back for a show. We're going to break down the defense, kind of take it from the same angle that we took it today. Uh, you know, what are the things we like about the, the defense? What are the strengths that they have? What are the concerns they have? We'll do another football 101, and then tomorrow, and then we'll dive into the mailbag. And then uh, Thursday, we'll do sort of, we'll kind of break down the position battles that are going to rage this spring. That'll be fun. We'll get to that as well. So, before you leave, folks, hit that like button, hit that subscribe button, hit the notification bell, share this podcast. If you're listening via podcast, please give us a five-star review. Sign up for the message boards at boards.irishbreakdown.com. Check out the merch store down below. You can see the link to our merch store. Get our hats, our shirts, all types of gear. I just bought a new mouse pad that I'm going to be putting up here pretty soon. I kind of have this specially made for me. I think that's pretty pretty hot. I think I'm going to put that on the message or on the uh, store here soon because I think it's a pretty cool thing. And um uh, yeah, got a lot going on for you. So make sure you stay locked into the message boards. Check out the website at irishbreakdown.com. And as always, thank you so much for joining us on the Irish Breakdown Podcast. 
headlines remind us daily, the world is a dangerous place. The elites in charge say everything's fine, stop noticing, but you know better. And your gut knows that time is short to prepare for a world that is four missed meals away from chaos. My Patriot Supply has helped over three million families become more self-reliant and is the company Americans trust to prepare. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure their best-selling three-month emergency food kits. Each contain delicious breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Secure at least one food kit for each family member. For a limited time, save $200, plus get free shipping on all their Ready Hour three-month emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. My Patriot Supply also has solar power generators, water filtration units, biomass stoves, heirloom seeds, and critical survival gear. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com.